at River Bank, we believe you can heal, grow, and fulfill God's plans for your life as the power of God touches you through this prophetic teaching by Pastor Dominion. Get excited and hop into it. In church this month, we're taking a series we've titled Christology. Say Christology. You know that you've heard that church is school. And they are meant to learn about God when you come to church. Now this is one of those months where there are important lessons to pick. Praise the name of the Lord. How many of you know that when you go to school, you don't go to have fun? And even if you go to have fun and you go because of your friends, when you are in class, it's not for fun. How many of you know that? Exactly. And so, as we look at God's word, I want you to open your heart. I want you to open your mind. Because it's important to learn about it. Well, any Christology, and basically Christology is a branch of theology that studies Christ. And we're narrowing down what we're learning today to something we've titled Christ is King. Say Christ is King. I know you've told your Buddha he's King, but just forget about it and say Christ is King. Now that's important. Now, here's the thing about the theme of this service. When we say Christ the healer, we know what it means. When we say Christ the Savior, we know what it means. When we say Christ, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, we know what it means. But when we say Christ is King, we know the Bible says it. But we don't know what it means. What does it mean that Christ is King? Was it because he wore a crown of thorn around his head on the cross? Is that why he's King? What does it mean? And how does it impact my life? How is this important to me every day? When we talk about Christ as the healer, when you are sick, you are like, he healed everyone that met him. I can receive my healing. When we think about him as the provider, we say, multiply bread for people. He can provide for me. When we say he's savior, we know that he came to save us of sin. But when we say he's king, what does it mean? And here's the challenge, and I'm going to show you from the Bible. The Bible is replete with scriptures that prove that Christ is king. Listen, the Bible is so full of examples that Christ is king that you'll be surprised. You'll begin to suspect that this thing is so important. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. So, let's jump right into it without wasting time and just look at examples in the Bible that show that Christ is king. I'll give you two broad examples. And by two, two broad examples, I mean they are really very broad examples. You know those broad subjects in school where they say that you should list something and there are like 17 of them? Yes, that's one of them. Like benefits of water. Uh-huh. You know, that's what we're doing. So, the first one that proves to us that Christ is king is there are prophecies in the Bible that tell us that Christ is king. It means before he was born, God began saying it. I'm, go- I'm going to give birth to a king. I'm going to bring a king for you. So, it's so important that before he surfaced on the earth, God began announcing it. Praise the name of the Lord. Alright, let's look at examples. Psalms chapter 2 verse 6 and verse 7. Psalms chapter 2 and verse 6 and verse 7. 
We're going to open a lot of Bible scriptures today. So please get interested. Are you there? Are you there? Psalm chapter 2 verse 6 and verse 7. Psalm chapter 2 verse 6 and verse 7. Are you there now? Are you there? No response. Alright, the Bible says, Yet I have set... Let's read this together. I want to go. Yet I have set my king upon the holy hill. I can't hear you guys. Are you there? Alright, read together. I want to go. Alright, I could only hear like two people. But it says... Listen to this. Verse 6. Psalm chapter 2 verse 6. He says, Yet I have set my king on my holy mountain of Zion. Intelligent Bible students, who is talking here? Who is talking here? Now imagine a statement that God made. He says, I have set my king upon my holy hill. What's he saying? The Israelites had learned this toxic habit, something we are very acquainted to, learning things from the world. Before this time, God was the king of Israel. He was the one that legislated in the matters of Israel. But they said, no, give us king like other nations. And so God had to choose kings. He had to move to the next best option. Pick David, pick Saul, and all of those things. But he said, I will set my king. I'm going to restore things to factory setting. I know you asked for a king, I gave you a king, but I'm going to set my own king. He says, upon my holy hill. So this is important to God. Next scripture, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. If you went to Sunday school, you should know this one. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Are you there? Alright, it says, For unto us a child is born. You know that scripture, don't you? Unto us a son is given. And what? And the government, he says, shall be on his shoulders. You see that? He would take the burden of the governing of my people. He says, and he will be wonderful counselor. Verse 7. He says, of the increase of his kingdom. The increase of his government. He says, there shall be no end. His kingdom will continue to expand. And will never end. And who is he talking about? Exactly. More prophecies. Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 5. Some of you... Don't know where it is. Humble yourself, open the table of contents, check for Jeremiah, look for the number, and then go to the page. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5. I'll give you a few seconds to get there. Jeremiah 23 verse 5. Are you there? He said, Behold, the day is coming. So is that not a prophecy? He's talking about the future. He says, Behold, the day is coming. who? He says that I would raise up to David a righteous branch, a king that shall reign. God is talking about this king he's talking about. It's important to him. Praise the name of the Lord. And finally concerning prophecies, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. It's the second to the last book in the Old Testament. I've given you expose. Thank you. 
Exactly. Second to the last book in the Old Testament. Now, if you don't know if the Old Testament comes before the New Testament, I can't help you anymore. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. Are you there? Alright, let's read together. I want to go. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king cometh. Hallelujah. So this is the prophecy about the triumphant entry when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and was riding on a donkey. This was the prophecy. Years before it happened, he prophesied it. But one thing is clear. He says, your king. So now listen, God has named this guy his own king and he has told you that this guy is your king. And now I don't know how it impacts us practically. And that's part of what we want to learn. How does it impact us that Christ is king? Praise the name of the Lord. But we looked at prophecies that say that Christ is king. Now let's also look at what happened in the lifetime of Jesus. I told you that the Bible is filled with scriptures that call Christ king. At his birth, he was referred to as a king. So the first one we said in prophecies, we give examples. And now in his life and in his ministry, he was referred to as a king. Matthew chapter 2 from verse 1 to 3. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1 down to verse 3. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 to 3. And now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east unto Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born what? He that is born king of the Jews. This guy was literally just born. And he said, where is he that is born? King of the Jews. The Bible says, and King Her- when King Herod heard it, there was trouble. And we're going to look at that. There was trouble. So, it wasn't an event that did not have impact. We're going to study the impact. But here's one thing that is clear. God kept talking about it. When it happened, the people announced it. Herod could not sleep. Let's look at other examples. In his temptation, you probably didn't notice this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 9. Please go there. Very important. The devil knew this. The devil knew this. So this is important. He says, and again, the devil takes him to an exceeding high mountain and showed him what? All the kingdoms of the world and the glory and said unto him, all these things I would give you. If you bow down and worship me. So, this is someone that is born to be a king. The devil presents him the offer. He says, I'll give, I mean, there's no king without a kingdom, isn't it? He says, all the kingdoms of the world, he says, I will give it to you. It was so core to what Jesus came to do that the devil tempted him with the offer. He says, you're king. You need kingdom. He says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I will give it to you. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's look at other scriptures. In the sermons of Jesus, he talked about his kingdom. Look at it. And this might strike you. Matthew chapter 14 where you are. Matthew chapter 4 where you are. Verse 17. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Oh, thank you, Lord. Shada Barata. Are you there? He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say what? 
Oh, you're not there. Look at your Bibles. Matthew 4, 17. Everyone. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say what? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. You've heard I'll be a king. That kingdom is close. He says, repent, change your mind. So, now we see, he says, this is what he began to teach. This is Matthew chapter 4. He had just been tempted. He left the wilderness. He came back in the power of the spirit of God. He began preaching. And what did he start saying? He said, change your mind. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Now, I know some people think he's saying end time is near. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. But he says the kingdom is near. It's close to you. So this is what he started saying. And that's what he kept saying. Let me tell you something. That's almost practically the most populous message Jesus preached. That's almost what he kept preaching again. Let me show you. Very quickly. Matthew 5.20. Next chapter. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. Are you there? He says, for I say unto thee, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no wise do what? So he's talking about kingdom, isn't it? Exactly. Matthew chapter 6 verse 10. That's next chapter. Matthew chapter 6 verse 10. Thy kingdom. So even in his prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says the very next thing is what? Your kingdom come, right? So this becomes what he begins to talk about. Matthew chapter 4, verse Matthew 7 21. Next chapter, Matthew chapter 4, 7. I don't know what I'm saying 4. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Are you there? He says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into what? So he begins to teach about the kingdom. If your righteousness does not exceed these people, the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not enter. So now he's introducing you to the kingdom. He's telling you how to enter. He's telling you those that will be disqualified. He's teaching about the kingdom. Alright. Matthew chapter 8 verse 11. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. And he said unto you, and I, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in where? He's teaching about the kingdom. How do people that will qualify will qualify? What it will look like? Let's keep going. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Are you there? And Jesus said. Sorry, and Jesus went about all the cities. Let's read this together. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of what? Of the kingdom. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He went to villages, the inner cities. He went to the cities, the township. He was preaching in the synagogue. Everywhere, just about everywhere he went. He talked about the kingdom. So why don't we know about the kingdom? Why is it that Jesus taught so much about this and we are so ignorant? Oh, that's not going to happen after today. Say loud amen. amen. Alright. 
Rab, let's look at just about two more scriptures concerning that. Matthew, what are we? Alright, Matthew 10 verse 7. Matthew chapter 10 verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So now he's sending his disciples. There was a time he sent the 70. Another time he sent the 120. He says, as you go, preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now let me just read one more scripture. There are a lot of them. Matthew chapter 11 verse 12. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. He says, the violence taken it by let me give you a few more references. Matthew 12, 28. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Matthew 13, 44. So, when you read the whole book of Matthew, you basically see teachings about the kingdom. This was what Jesus was preoccupied talking about. So, we see that they called Jesus a king. And now he tells us his kingdom is near. And then he begins to indoctrinate people. He gives you a mindset. He's giving you a paradigm shift about his kingdom. He wants to change your orientation. There's a way he wants you to see things. He wants to create your worldview. And this is so important. Listen, let me tell you something. The devil doesn't care that you come to church every day. He doesn't doesn't care about it. One thing that he's afraid of and he doesn't want to happen is that your orientation changes. And this is why every time we come to church, but it doesn't seem like our perspectives are changing. Your mindset is not different from the mindsets of someone out there. Why is that so? Jesus gave a parable. He said, when the sower sows the word into your heart, he sows it as seed. He says, the devil comes to steal it. So, Jesus is going about preaching, teaching, talking about the kingdom, trying to give you a new mindset. He says, what the devil wants to do is steal it. And once he can steal it, he, it doesn't matter what you heard, it's no more there. If you plant a seed and something comes to steal it, it's irrelevant. So, I need you to open your mind to a new perspective. Matthew 13, 44, where I said you should read. Where I said you should write down. The Bible said Jesus was speaking. He was describing the kingdom. And I want you to pay attention. He said the kingdom of God is like a treasure that is hid in a field. For which when a man sees, he goes back and with joy he sells everything he has. So, Jesus is telling us about the value of the kingdom. He says, it's like a treasure. It's valuable. It's important. It has value. It's priceless. He says, a man sees that treasure. He's describing the kingdom. So, he wants us to have a perspective about the kingdom. That is a treasure. He says, the man sees it. He goes back home. He sells everything he has to buy that field. So it doesn't matter how broke or how rich you are. He's saying the kingdom is valuable. Praise the name of the Lord. You know when you see a valuable offer and you start thinking, what can I sell to get this thing? He says, that's the kingdom. What it means is this. 
There's a type of perspective we must sustain. If you truly know that the devil hasn't stolen the word from your heart. Praise the name of the Lord. If you don't see the kingdom as valuable, it's either you are not taught or the devil has stolen it. Now, for starters, we all know that the kingdom of God has to be so precious. It has to be so valuable. Even if you don't understand how valuable it is, you know that I mean. If it's God's kingdom, it has to be something of value, isn't it? What's more? We talked about prophecies about Jesus that he will be king. Throughout his life and ministry, he kept talking about himself as king and kept, kept teaching about his kingdom. He died on the account of that testimony. I hear what I'm saying. Look at it. John chapter 19. I'll read from verse 12 to 15. John 19, 12. John 19, verse 12. Are you there? I want to read. Are you there? Are you there? John 19, verse 12. He says, And from henceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out and said, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Caesar was a king. He says, Whosoever maketh himself king speaketh against Caesar. Whosoever makes himself a king is speaking against Caesar. You understand the story, right? Pilate wanted to let Jesus go. The Jews said, this guy is calling himself a king. If you allow him go, it means you are not Pilate's friend. He says, alright, verse 14, and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, he said unto the Jews, behold your, right, behold your what? Alright, now let's jump down to verse 19. And Pilate wrote a letter, a title, and put it on the cross. And the writing was what? Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the... When they crucified him, that was the inscription that was there. On that account. Pilate wanted to let him go. That was the point. It means he was so important. It means from the beginning, of, first day of his life to the last day, that name, king, haunted him. They wanted to kill him when he was born because they said, where's the newborn king? Now they finally got an opportunity to kill him as the king. It's important. It's just to you that it's not important. Praise the name of the Lord. Now here's something you might not realize. That whilst you might see Pilate and the Jews, there was something happening behind the scenes. And this is where it gets extremely crucial. Let me show you something. First Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'll read verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'll read verse 8. Are you there? We're going to read this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. Are you there? Read together, I want to go. He says, which none of the princes of this world knew. He says, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What's he saying here? He's not talking about Pilate. 
He's saying that the devil wanted to kill Jesus from the first day he appeared to the scene until he finally killed him. He says, but if he knew, he wouldn't have killed him. He says, if the princes of this world knew, they wouldn't have killed the Lord of glory. Now listen, this is very important. It means that we saw Pilate. Did you see the arguments they used to wear Pilate into killing Jesus? It was a logical argument, wasn't it? If you say you are the friend of Caesar, and Caesar is the king, and this guy calls himself king, you will kill him. If you let him go, you are not a friend of Caesar. It was a logical argument that you can make to any of your friends. But the Bible tells us there was something happening behind the scenes. That if the princes of this world knew, if the rulers of the kingdom of darkness knew, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So, why we saw Pilate and the Jews doing things physically, there was something happening behind the scenes. The devil was orchestrating things. The devil was walking, making sure that Jesus was killed. And it was a big mistake. It was a huge mistake. And I'll show you. When the devil was tempting Jesus in Matthew 4, he says, look at the kingdoms of this world. They are mine. I will give them to you. Jesus did not say, you're a liar. He didn't say that. Because it was true. It was true. So, the devil had the kingdoms of this world. But by killing Jesus, he didn't know that he lost and relinquished his, his headship as the head of this world. But here's what I want to do. Now that we've proven that Christ is king and there is a kingdom, I want to explain what that kingdom is to you. Because if you do not know what the kingdom is, you won't understand this teaching at all. I'll start from John chapter 18 verse 37. I want to explain what the kingdom of heaven is and what the kingship of Jesus is. What's that environment? What's that land space, quote and unquote, where Jesus is king? John chapter 7. Sorry, what I said? John 18, right? All right, verse 37. I need you to read this, everybody. John chapter 18, verse 37. Are you there? All right, let's read together. One, two, go. Alright, now look at this. I'll start from verse 36. Or verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? And Jesus said what? Thou hast said that I am a king. He says, to this end was I born. I was, so, out of everything you knew about Jesus, he said it was for this reason I was born. Clear from his mouth, isn't it? But now what is this kingdom? Verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not in this world. My kingdom is not in this world. Now he's talking to Pilate. And Pilate is saying, Guy, I can release you. And he says, Look, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not in this world. If my kingdom is of this world, I will call my soldiers. They will come and fight you. So in understanding what the kingdom of God is, you must take your your sight of physical geography. His kingdom is a spiritual place. 
and you must see it as such. So it means that there was that spiritual place where the devil wanted to give him in Matthew chapter 4. There was that spiritual place that's called a kingdom that has people, that has a leader, that has rules, that has a mode of oppression that's called a kingdom. It means that even though we live in a physical realm, there's a spiritual realm where there's called, that is called the kingdom that the devil had that Jesus is saying I'm a king of. He says my kingdom is not of this world. Now, that world is so powerful that it was controlling Pilate, controlling the Jews, and they did not know. Praise the name of the Lord. So, the Jews were operating under an influence. And they just thought, I don't like this guy. I don't like what you're saying. Now, listen to me. We live in the same world. Controlled by spirits. Controlled by people who are influenced by spirits. And so, you go about every day interacting with people and do not realize that they are under an influence. They do not know that they are under an influence. They set up rules. They set up legislation. They carry out acts. They bring out materials. And everybody just thinks it's logical. It makes sense. It's work. It's this. It's that. Because it doesn't have to be mystical. Because the devil is influencing it. They said if you are a friend of Caesar, you will not accept this guy to continue to say he's king. Praise the name of the Lord. It means that we have to be careful. It means we have to be educated. It means that we have to know things about God's kingdom. So that when the devil is bringing out stuff and influencing people to do stuff, we can move against it. This is what he means when he says his kingdom is near. Now, let me explain it even further, looking at some scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Open your Bibles and I want you to read it very loud for me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. In case you think all those thoughts were just a speculation, or were just my speculations. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Are you there? I need you to read as loud as you can. Want to go. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walketh in the children of... So, he said that, he's talking to believers, those, from, those in Ephesus. He says, in time past, before you became born again, he says, you walked according to the pattern of this world. Let me explain that phrase to you. It means the normal way things are done in the earth realm. Listen, many times when we say that people are operating under the influence of demon spirits, sometimes we can say mystical activities. But sometimes it's normal way things are done in this world. So, you see entertainment that is normal. It doesn't look satanic at all. You know there are some songs you hear it and you'll be suspecting. This song, I, I somehow. But there are, there are some that are just normal. But the ideology communicated. 
doesn't support the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, whatsoever thing is true, whatsoever thing is noble, if it's of good report, if it's worthy of praise, think on these things. So sometimes it doesn't need to look all that satanic. It just contradicts the normal pattern of Christianity. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Look at the argument about homosexuality, for example. Listen. Listen. And because it can come as a logical explanation, many scientists have come with reports to say that, look, this is a biological makeup. But these are ideas. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Somebody said this and it's so powerful. Do you know that you can do a research as a scientist and come to the conclusion there is a biological makeup? But that does not mean that that's the design of God. For example, when you say that someone is born blind, for example, would you say that's the normal order and the design of God? We say it's a defect, isn't it? Exactly. When we say someone is born deaf or born with a missing organ, will we say that's the normal design of God? We say that the person needs a medical intervention. So even if you claim that the person is by design that way, biologically born that way, it still doesn't make it right. It still means it's a defect. Simple. Do you get what I'm saying? But if you do not sustain the ideology of the kingdom, you can't defend that thing. You can't fight against it. You can't kick against it. Now, when you, and this is important, I'm going to get there. When you sit down and say, that doesn't concern me. I'm not homosexual. I don't have any homosexual friend. I'm fine. That's a problem. Listen, the reason is because the, I, what the devil wants to do in spreading his kingdom is influencing mindsets. The Bible says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He says, against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness. He says, spiritual wickedness in high places. He then talks about pulling down strongholds and anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. It means that, remember what we learned last week? That they suppress the truth in wickedness. You remember? That's what he does. So, there are things that exalt themselves against what is common knowledge in the kingdom of Christ. You must kick against it. So, he said, in explaining what the kingdom of darkness is, he says the spirits at work in the children of disobedience. He's not talking about children that are disobedient to their parents. That's not what he's talking about. He said they walk contrary to what is common knowledge in the kingdom of God. Let's look at other scriptures. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 17. This is one that you might be able to relate to. I'll start from verse 15. I'll skip to verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse... Romans 7, I beg your pardon. Romans 7, And verse 15. Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. Are you there? 
He says, for what? For that which I do allow. Sorry? For that which I do allow, I allow not. And what I would, I do not. But what I hate, that I, that I do. Verse 17, Romans chapter 7, verse 17. He says, now then, it is no more I that do it. He says, but sin that dwells in me. He says, for I know that in me, he says, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He says, for to will is present. The willingness to do what's right is present. And that's what is happening to many of us. He says, but how to perform that which is good is not. Do you see that now? Verse 19. He says, for the good that I will do, that I would, I do not. And that which I hate is what I do. Verse 20. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it. He says, but sin that dwelleth where? Same thing, the spirit at work in the children of disobedience. He said, there's something in me that makes me, I want to live for God. I don't want to die. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to perish. I want to live for God. He said, but there's something at work in me. What I want to do, I don't see myself doing it. Explaining the influence of the kingdom of darkness. Praise the name of the Lord. Look at Romans chapter 8, the very next chapter, and verse 2. Romans chapter 8, verse 2 is quite complicated to read, so I'll help you to read it. But everyone, read Romans 8, 2. 1, 2, go. Read it with life. 1, 2, go. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. An easy way to read that scripture is this. There's something Paul was doing there. And it's called word play. Right? And that is that you just put some words together for um, a redeeming purpose. An easy way to read that scripture is remove the word, the word law from that statement, from that scripture. And you understand it easily. So I'll do that for you. Are you ready? Look into your Bibles. He says... For the spirit of life in Christ, or the spirit that gives life in Christ, has set me free from sin and... Remember, he has said sin is at work in me. He says the spirit that gives life in Christ Jesus has set me free. So, the things I want to do, I don't see myself doing. He says, but the spirit of God that gives life has set me free from sin. Praise the name of the Lord. Now that's the kingdom of God. That there's what we want to do and we do not find ourselves doing it. And doing those things. But the spirit of God in us sets us free. You see it now. You see it now. Now go to Ezekiel chapter 36. We'll read from verse 26 to 27. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. Very quickly. I told you this was Bible study, so we're opening a lot of scriptures. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. Are you there now? All right, read together, want to go. He says, A new heart also will I give you. And what? A new spirit will I put within you. 
He says, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. You see that? So, he is saying, that heart, that is stony, and not responsive to God, he says, I will take it away. He says, and I will put my spirit within you. He says, and it will cause you to walk according to my status. To walk according to my counsel. So, what God is saying is this. I've seen your struggle. I've seen your hardship. I've seen that you have a certain desire. But I see what you do. I know it's a struggle. He says, I've detected it. I know what's wrong. The kingdom of darkness is resident inside of you. So what did I do? He says, I take away that stony heart out of your flesh. He says, I give you a heart of flesh. He says, I put my spirit within you and cause you to walk according to my laws. Say aloud, amen. amen. So, the sin problem has been handled. He has taken away that appetite for sin. And he has put a desire for himself. He says concerning Jesus. He said because you love righteousness. And hate wickedness. Now he has made that your experience. Listen. It's your testimony right now. If you believe in Jesus. It might not be your experience. Right? But it's your testimony. So. Spiritual growth is an attempt to. Begin to experience those things. Do you get what I'm saying? It's an attempt to begin to experience those things. And in the months to come, I'll teach you on spiritual growth. Let me tell you something. Many of us are not very, are not, have not been properly educated. And the people that educated us spiritually were honest. But the knowledge wasn't complete. Listen. Spiritual growth starts by realizing that the spirit of God is in you. That the desire for sin has been taken away. But the desire will seem to come alive. It will look like it's alive, but it's dead. So the Bible says, mortify sin in your members. Kill it. He said, because I have taken it away, I have nailed it to the cross, you have the ability to overcome. He says, greater is he that is in us. That he that is in the world. So, let me give you an example. When, for example, festival season, you buy chicken, you cut the head. If you release that chicken, it will stand up and run. How many of you have seen this happen? Exactly. So, what do you do? You keep it down. You keep it down. Some of you that are extremely wicked will break the head, break the leg, break the arm. He says, do that to sin. He says, because I have taken the stony heart out of your flesh, because I've given you a desire for myself, he said, mortify, kill sin in your body. What it means is this. Listen, I know you've struggled. I know you've tried everything you know to try, but I need you to listen to the counsel of God's word. He said, you can walk in the newness of life. You can walk in it. Say, I walk in the newness of life. I make it my testimony. I kill sin in my body. Say, new spirit, God has given me. He has taken the stony heart out of my flesh. He has given me a spirit that is willing to do everything he has said. Open your Bibles to Psalm 110 verse 2 and 3. Let's read that. 
Psalm 110, verse 2 and verse 3. Oh, glory to God. Are you there? Are you there? He says, The Lord shall send the Lord of his strength out of Zion. What does he say? Rule thou in the midst of thy What's he saying? He's talking about rulership. He's talking about governance. Kingdom. He's describing his kingdom. He said he will send his rod. Talking about the Christ. To come and sit in your heart. He says he will rule. Where the devil is everywhere in the streets. Christ reign as king in my life. What will happen after that? Look at verse 3. Everybody, verse 3, want to go. And thy people shall be willing in the day of thy... So, now that he sits in your heart, we would have willing hearts. We are not struggling. We are willing. We are not trying to please God. Because Christ rules in our hearts. He just produces that willingness. Have you seen people excited about God? And you're like, I don't get your passion. He says, that's your testimony. Say, that's my testimony. Listen. The Bible says, it is him that is at work in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's at work in you. You might not have seen it. And that's why, you know, in the months to come, we teach on spiritual maturity. But he says, he's at work in you. Say, God is at work in me. He's producing willingness. So, why are you thinking? I don't know. I can never be passionate like those people. He says, it is him that is at work in you. Can he fail in you? Can he fail? Can he produce willingness? He said, it is him that is at work in you. Say, God is at work in me. Producing willingness. Producing readiness. To do all that he has said. Say he has taken the stony heart out of my flesh. He has given me a heart that is willing. Listen to me. Listen to me. Christianity is not about obeying rules and commandments. He said I will give you a willing heart. I know you've struggled. He says spiritual maturity is not what you do. It's what he does in you. So the problem is that you've been struggling. You've been trying to do it on your own. Allow him. Let him reign as king. Let him influence your thoughts. Allow him. Allow him. Allow him. When he gives you that desire to pray, just start. It will keep growing. It will keep growing. It will keep growing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It will keep growing. Oh, shada barata kapo sania patika. It will keep growing. Shana mandea paha. It just keeps growing. So, whilst the devil has sat in our hearts and producing wickedness and unwillingness to do the things that God will have us do. Jesus came and took away his reign and lives in our hearts. 
So when we say Christ is king, what does it mean? It means that Christ is king of hearts. He sits in your heart as king. And then he directs your desires. Now the abundance of your heart is consistent with the will of God. Say Christ is king of my heart. Say he reigns inside of me. There's willingness for me. So as I begin to wrap up. Let me show you about two things that Christ does as king. Number one is what I've explained. He produces willing hearts. He produces willing. He says thy people shall be willing. In the day of thy power. The second thing he does as king. Is spiritual authority. Say spiritual authority. Let me teach you something. The power of God is one of the easiest things for believers to walk in. But it works with understanding. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now from verse 5 to verse 7 of the same 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he begins to name those gifts. He talks about word of knowledge, word of wisdom. He talks about faith. He talks about the gifts of healing. He talks about workings of miracles. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant. It means I want to inform you concerning these things. Now, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, chapter 12 rather, verse 39, he says, desire spiritual gifts. The same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he says, desire spiritual gifts. Um, chapter 13, verse 1, he says, desire spiritual gifts. Uh, and then, he said that for a reason. Because when you are informed, listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. It influences your operations in the gifts. Many of us have a very satanic idea about how to work in spiritual gifts. Those ideas have kept us crippled. Remember we said what the devil does is he suppresses the truth. Right? So many of us think that before I can walk in spiritual gifts, I need to be righteous in my conduct. I need to have not have done any sinful thing throughout the week or throughout the month. And I'm not saying that you should go about and live a careless life. But I'm saying that the condition for walking in the power of God is that Christ is king. The condition has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Christ. Listen, because he sits in a place of authority, I can use his name and the demon responds because he responds to him, not you. So I'll show you an example from the Bible. The second thing is that some of us think I'm not powerful. Look at me. What's powerful about me? You don't need to be powerful. It's not about you. It's about him. We cast out demons in his name. In Matthew, Mark chapter 16 from verse 15 to verse 16. He says, in my name you will cast out devils. He didn't say anything about you. He says, Matthew, Mark 16 verse 15. He says, go and preach the gospel. He that believes and baptizes says, he says, these signs shall follow them that do what? That believe. He says, in my name, they will cast out devils. Listen, 
I told you what the devil wants to do is influence your perspective. If he can make you think that you need to be powerful to cast him out, then he's going to have a field day. But if you know from God's word that all you need to cast out devil is that he that believes and is baptized is saved, these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they would expel demons. You will stand in front of the devil and you would expel him in the name of Jesus and he would respond. Listen, if you try to cast the devil out without believing this thing, you will struggle. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that there are certain men, seven of them, called the sons of Sceva. The father was Sceva. They came to meet someone that was possessed of the demon. She's not possessed. Came to meet someone that was possessed of the demon and say, I cast you out in the name of Jesus that Paul preached. You know what the Bible says? It says that demon girl pounced on them. These seven hefty men ran out of the room naked. What happened? It wasn't because they were not holy. It wasn't because they were not powerful. It wasn't because they said in the name of Jesus. It's because they did not believe. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus was coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. There was a boy that was possessed of the demon. His father brought him. The disciples couldn't cast the demon out. So, after a while, Jesus came. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long do I need to teach you these things? And then he told the demon to go. Later, his disciples said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? Now, why am I praying for this situation in my family? And it's not changing. He said, because of your own belief. He says, if you believe, you will say to this mountain, not only would you cast out this demon, you will say to this mountain, if you believe. Listen, don't tell me it's not true if you don't walk in it. I walk in it. I know what I'm telling you. Are you hear what I'm saying? It's the testimony of Jesus. It's the testimony of many of us here that if you believe, you will cast out devils. Some of you are already afraid of the demon. So how do you cast him out? You're already scared. You are scared already. You must realize that because Christ is king, it's authority. Do you get what I'm saying? He has authority. And so in his name, I can walk in the power of God. In Acts chapter 3, let's go there. I'm going to show you something that Peter did. In Acts chapter 3, please open your Bibles. I need you to look at this. Mark this scripture. Think about it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Are you there? Verse 12. Now, prior to verse 12, Peter had raised the lame man at the beautiful gates. Verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered the people. He says, Ye men of Israel, why marvel at us? Why marvel ye at this? And why look ye earnestly at us? As though by what? You're not looking at it. As though by what? Or we had made this man 
this guy just prayed for someone that was lame and made him walk and people are like wow and he says why are you looking at me i see it's by my holiness or it's by my power that i made this man work why so it means that when you a believer things that is because of your holiness the devil has lied to you peter said why are you looking at me as if it's by my power or by my holiness that i made this man work that ideology was planted in you by the devil to keep you from walking in the power of God. Christ is king and he is giving you spiritual authority. The devil cannot stop it. What he can do is lie to you so that you don't walk in it. So look at what Peter's answer of how he did it is. Verse 16. Now look at verse 15. And you killed the prince of life. Who is he talking about? And God has raised him from the dead. Who is he talking about? Exactly. And his name, through faith in his name, had done what? Had made this man strong. Yet ye see. Do you see what he's saying? So, how did Peter say he made that man walk? Through faith in what? Exactly. He says, you've killed him. God has raised him. Now he's king. Through faith in his name. Say faith in his name. Say in the name of Jesus, I walk in miracles. Say miracles upon miracles. Say this, my life, my life is replete with signs, wonders, and miracles. My life is replete with signs, wonders, and miracles. Glory to God. Listen, let me tell you something. I didn't always walk in the power of God. But I knew as a pastor it was important for me to learn it. And so I studied. I read. I listened to sermon and it pointed to it. Faith if you will believe. If you will believe. That as I speak to this situation... By the authority of the Christ is gone. You will see it. I walk in miracles and healing cheaply. You know this, don't you? Exactly. Cheaply. Cheaply. Let me tell you, let me give you an example of something that happened. There was a day my wife and I were trying to get, um, there was someone that was meant to come to church. I was like, oh, come and pick you up. She was like, oh, okay, that's fine. Then later on, she was like, ah, I'm feeling pains. I can't come. I'm like, okay, let's do a deal then. I come and pray for you. If you're healed, we'll come to church. You can have that kind of confidence. Say amen. amen. She thought we were whining her. She didn't know us. <laughs> so we showed up. She was surprised. And then I said, where's the pain? And then I prayed. And she thought it's just, we'll just pray and we'll say, we believe it's done. I say, check, how is it? So that I, I should, I say, check it. Check it. She was like, eh, okay. It's looking like it's going no. I say, exactly. And then we prayed again. And then we prayed again. So she was looking at her body. And she has been sick since last night. You're right, all the previous nights. But it happened like many weeks ago. 
And she was like, ah. She my body the wine me near. What's happening here? And then, <laughs> and so, she wanted to doubt, but she couldn't, she knew she was feeling better. Do you understand? She knew there was progress. So I said, I, it was obvious. So I said, from when yesterday or the previous day till now, had it improved? So is it, is, is it a coincidence that is now that I'm praying that it's getting better? And every time I pray, it gets progressively better. It's the power of God. Glory to God. Listen, I don't want you, to, I don't want to be the only one walking the power of God. I want you to walk in the power of God. I want us to go to the streets and pray for the sick. Do you get what I'm saying? Let's make the supernatural come on. Listen to me. The reason why in this church I make you lay your hands on the sick and pray for them is because I want to show you that there's mighty working power in your hands. That if you pray in the name of Jesus, the sick will be healed. My goal is that we take it out of here. That we go to the streets. We've done it many... Listen, listen. The fact that we've done it many times without fail... It's proof that we know how to do it. It's not a coincidence. If it's one, two, three times, you can say maybe it's a coincidence. We've done it for first-timers. We've done it for members. We've done it for everybody. In his name, we heal the sick. In his name, we walk miracles. In his name, we expel demons. In his name. When his name shows up, that sickness cannot stay. What's that sickness? What's that devil? He can't stand. Let me tell you something. I need you to believe this. My goal is this. As a church, we must come to a place where it becomes absolutely impossible for us to conceive praying for someone and he's not healed. Let me tell you something. Do you realize that many of you right now, you truly believe that if you pray for someone here, they'll be healed. Do you know that already? You will be shocked if the person is not healed. You're like, it doesn't happen. We usually, you, they usually get it. It's normal to us. We're not stopping here. We're taking it out there. I've, le- I've started it. We've taken it out there. My wife too have started it. She's taking it out there. We now pray for people outside. And that's what we'll do as a church. Because we know Christ is king. What's that sickness? I tell you to go. You go. Because I carry the authority of the king. I mean, if Christ says go, what are you to stay? Now I'm coming in his name. I'm coming as his representative. Praise the name of the Lord. Say in the name of Jesus, I heal the sick. In the name of Jesus, I cast out devils. In the name of Jesus, I walk miracles. Not by my holiness, not by my power, but by faith in the name of Jesus. And that's important. That's important. Now here's the final thing. We talked about willing hearts because he's king. We've talked about spiritual authority because he's king. Here is another place where you have to participate. The Bible says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. 
what it means is that the systems that run this world belong to Christ. The systems of influence in this world belong to Christ. And listen, as, as, as a church, right? And I'm, I'm talking about the body of Christ. We haven't learned this thing very well. That we are meant to be agents of influence. We are meant to be influencers for the gospel. We are meant to create the narratives. Paul told Timothy, he says, be an example. It means we are meant to be a reference point. So let me start from the known and I move to the unknown. Many of us have reference points for fashion. We have reference points. Let me say you want to be a musician. You have reference points for music. So that person influenced your idea about fashion. Your idea. Thank you. Amen. So that person is influencing your idea about fashion, your idea about music, creating how you your world view. That person or some people are influencing what you think about wealth and abundance and living a wealthy life and living as a wealthy person. That person is creating an idea about how you see yourself in relations to money. So, you were not born with the idea of money you currently have. The kind of lifestyle you want to live, somebody painted it to you. Maybe on Instagram, maybe on anywhere. But here's the problem. There is the word of God that is meant to paint our narrative. But because we do not truly trust God, we feel like if I subscribe to what he says, I will be suffering in life. I will not live the kind of life I want. I will not enjoy my life. But you don't realize that your idea about enjoying your life was painted by some people that were not influenced by the Bible. Now, when the Bible tells you and wants to influence you, you are like, no. So, the devil doesn't care that you come to church as far as I can give you a particular ideology. You must trust God. You must believe he has the best in heart for you. He says the thoughts I have for you are thoughts of good. You must believe it. You must believe. Listen, that's the point of surrender. Some of you are struggling. You don't know the idea about, I'm about to tell you about the Bible, but you're already struggling. You don't know it all. You don't know whether I'm about to say God's idea is wealth and abundance. We're already struggling with just submitting to whatever the Bible has to say. Now, that's the devil sitting in your heart. That's the devil influencing your perspective. The Bible says don't be ignorant of the schemings, the devices, the deceits of the devil. 
Now, when I was saying that the devil lied to you, that you need to be holy, you need to be powerful, to walk in power, you're excited about that one, you love that one. But now I'm saying about wealth, about influence, about enjoying your life, about how to live your life, how to spend your life, you're already feeling somehow. Now, that means that you need to attack that one. Mm -hmm. You need to attack it. Do you understand? If it's hurting you, it means you need to attack it. And the devil is usually a very good schemer. If he knows that God sent you to be a king and to have a kingdom, he'll come and tempt you. See kingdom. So now, the devil knows that God has stuff in store for you as it pertains to wealth and impacts and its relations with the kingdom of God. So he has sat in your heart, attacked you quickly so that you don't get to do what God will have you to do. Listen, God wanted to give Jesus kingdom. The devil said, come, 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 guy. Let me give you kingdom. Why are you fasting? Why are you praying? Why do you need to go through all of those things? Let me give you kingdom. Bow down and worship me. His offerings to you, what he wants to give you, is the same thing God wants to give you. You must trust God. So, when you say, I give my life to Christ, my heart to Christ, this is, it, it, initially it should mean you just believe the gospel. But as you grow in maturity, you learn that I must have a willing heart. Mm. I won't struggle with whatever, whatever he says. I believe he has good plans for me. I know that every good and perfect gift comes from God. The father of lights, in which there is no variableness or shadow of turning. He says, if I was hungry, I would not come and ask you. He says, a thousand cattle on a thousand hill, they are mine. If his wealth and abundance in the streets of heaven is paved in gold, you can't have reached me. I'm the king of the universe. I created everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, you must learn influence for the gospel. That whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Praise the name of the Lord. So let's say you are destined to be a king. Now the devil is, you know, offering you kingship or kingdom. You learn to refuse it and take what God has to offer you. You see it? You see what I'm saying? If he says, I have Isaac for you, don't say, let's quickly organize our own. I have Ishmael. No! Because after Ishmael, he says, in Isaac, shall your seed be called. It's Isaac, the one I told you about. In a society, and this is a science research, but it applies to us. There are systems in a society that influence the mindset of the people. There are seven of them that influence our overall perspective. The people that are our icons in those systems, the people that are examples in those systems are the true ones that are ruling our hearts. So, what we want to do 
is learn God's perspective about those systems. So that in our experience, he will be king of our hearts. Let me list the seven of them to you. And then we'll wrap up from there. The first one is finance. I'm saying this off the top of my head because I did not put it down in my notes. So you have to be fast. Finance. Then family. Then education. Remember I said I'm saying it off the top of my head. So don't say, what is number three? I don't know. (laughs) Then entertainment. How many have I listed? All right. Then what again? Sorry? Politics, yes. Politics and governance. And then religion. Are they complete now? So I've said politics, I've said religion. Read the things you have for me. What are they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Watch one again. Health. So what, I didn't hear what you said. Health. Is it health? I don't know. When I find out, I'll tell you. Praise the name of the Lord. Now listen. These are the things that influence a society. Our idea about finance. Now listen. When your perfect idea about who a wealthy person is, is someone that does not depict what the Bible says, you will get into trouble. There is an example in the Bible called the man, a man called the rich fool. This guy was a wise investor. He built a successful business and then he stored up stuff and then he says, on the rainy days I get to eat them, relax. There was nothing in what he said that seemed sinful. Except for the fact that in our kingdom, greatness means to serve others. The Bible says, he that will be great amongst you must serve. So, when this guy, a rich man, decides that his own life is for his own self, for him, by him, forever, it's a problem. In our kingdom, it's important, it's more blessed to give. So, God wants you to also be an extension to other people. He doesn't have a problem with you being wealthy. But he wants you to bless people. And that shouldn't be a problem because he died for you. He wasn't living for himself. Do you get what I'm saying? He could have stayed in heaven. But he came to die the death of a sinner so that you would have willing hearts, so that you would have authority, so that you would have the blessings. So, if your idea about finance, your idea about family, you know, 
Submission is like a swear word in our day when you put it in a relationship context. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Please signify by a show of hand. Thank you. It's like a curse word. But then it's in the Bible. So, if you know that God has good plans for you, just by properly examining what the Bible says, you'd realize that he says, wife, submit to your husband. Like Christ submits to the church. Then he says, husband, love your wife. As Christ loved the church and laid down his life. I feel like one is more difficult. He seemed to be very explanatory. Which one? It says, wife, submit to your husband. As Christ submit, as the church submits to Christ. Husband, love your wife. Like Christ loved the church. And laid down his life. Johnson, ask, can you die for me? It's, it's answered. <laughs> he has the answer. Praise the name of the Lord. That's important. So, you see men that are in their, they are like lions in their house. You're like, no. He says you should lay down your life for this woman. He didn't say you are kings of kings and lord of lords. You are alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. All, all hail you, the king of this house. No. And if you are confused, you jump to 1 Corinthians 14. Love is ki- 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind. It keeps no record of evil. It believes the best. So, when you do this, we say, is this a kind thing to do? He says, love keeps no record of wrong. Nothing like the other day. That's how you, nothing like that. Mm. That's why Paul said, when you look at the whole issue, maybe you should not even get married. 1 Corinthians 7. Exactly. So, when your idea, when your couple goes, is a guy that stands six feet tall, it's a lady that's cute, five feet, six, you know, maybe he's wearing shorts and one shirt and then he's wearing baseball hats and then there's a bitch in their scene, you know, chilled with one cute dog and one cute daughter. And then the lady has the right shape, the right contours everywhere. You know what I'm saying now? <laughs> when, I was, when that's your couple goal, always on vacation, you have CCTV camera everywhere in your house for reality show. Uh-uh, that's not what it is. Let me tell you, in real marriage, they wash plates. They wash clothes. They pay bills. Yeah. They don't just take cute pictures. Uh-uh. They sit down and say, what are we eating today? Say, I don't know. Say, what about you? I don't know. Two hours later, out of hunger, you can't take Gary first. Uh-huh. Yeah. They annoy themselves. Should we talk about that one? <laughs> uh, 
my view is an angry face. <laughs> but he says, love. When you don't feel like it, he says, love. When you don't feel like it, he said, submit. There's nothing like I did it out of anger. Uh-uh. He says, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. So, your idea about all these things must be formed in scriptures. Your idea about religion must be formed in scriptures. How does this impact you currently? Let me tell you something. And this is where I'm going to end from. We, as a church, must learn to be loud about the narrative of the Bible. We are too quiet. We must be very vocal about the narrative of the Bible. When people are arguing about submission, you must contribute. Are you hearing me? Open your mouth and talk. Open your mouth and talk. We have too many senseless people. People that don't know the word of God. Stating the narrative. Being at the forefront. Saying things. You must talk. Lend your voice. One time Paul, God told Paul. He says, go into that city. I have many people there. Let's unify our voices. The Bible says, until we come to the unity of the faith. You can't be silenced. Listen to me. You have to be an influencer. For the gospel. Are you you hearing me? You have to be an influencer for the gospel. When people talk about governance, marriage, finance, you must lend your voice. Some of you, your ideas are purely from Twitter streets. Purely. 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 Open your mouth and talk. Some of you, the only place where you can contribute is football. Stop it. If they say to argue about Messi and C. Ronaldo, you are vocal. But now, when it's to say things that are in alignment with what the word of God says, you are quiet. Now, the truth has been suppressed. Why is it that people in the world are so vocal about their ideas? Somebody can come and say homosexuality is normal. And they say we are going to go and have a peace walk. Right? And protest. And then we go. But as a church, when we say open your mouth and talk, contribute to the narrative. Let me tell you something. The power is in the numbers. If you don't know that, you don't know anything about this world. The power is in the numbers. So, you have to mobilize numbers. You have to add your voice to what we are saying. Let the gospel be popular on the streets. Whether it's the physical streets, the streets of Twitter, the streets of Instagram, everywhere. Let the gospel be popular. It's your responsibility. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Open your mouth and say things. When there are trendy issues and people are lending their voice as a church, open your mouth and talk. Know what the Bible has said as say it. Many people are not confident enough. And that's why rubbish is on the streets everywhere. You must open your mouth and talk. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Because Christ is king, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. This is why Bible study is important. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is why when you are taught, you pay attention. So that when it's time to talk, you can contribute. Enough of the nonsense that I don't know what to say. You know. We have a lot of teachings on almost every subject. You should know what to say. Don't say I don't know what to say. You have a Bible in your hand. Read it. The sermons are are uploaded weekly. Listen. Pay attention. Stop saying I'm not prepared. You're not prepared and the devil is running the streets. And you're not prepared. Get yourself ready. Stop this, I'm shy. Uh-uh, that's not helping us. Come out of your box. And lend your voice. Is that okay? Lend, listen. When you hear anything, open your mouth and say what you believe is the Bible's idea. You're an intelligent person. You have a mind. You have an intelligent pastor. Listen, open your mouth and talk. Let us discuss it. Let us establish what is truth. And let us share it and publish it everywhere. Paul was, David was talking about Saul when he died. The young man came and told David, Saul had died. He said, my goodness. He says, the captives of the Most High has fallen. He says, how has the mighty fallen? He said, tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Astralom. Let it not go out. Let's keep the narrative of God's word. How can we say that the mighty of God fell in battle? We must protect our kingdom. So, Allow the word of God to influence your mindset about family, about finance, about relationship. Do you get what I'm saying? About politics, about entertainment. Let me tell you something. Entertainment is for enjoyment, but it can also be clean. Listen, because you think it has to be dirty for you to be enjoyable means that they have done such a good work. When you sit down and do a good work, it will be clean and it will be the best. You just don't sit down enough. I'm not even positing that every musician in church should be a gospel artist. No. Far from it. Far from it. There are not people in church for the choir. Go out there and sing secular songs that are clean. That pass a nice message. A nob- fight for a noble cause. Put in the work. I hear what I'm saying? Listen, every one of us have been called to this mandate. It doesn't matter what your assignment is. You're just not thinking enough. So it doesn't matter what you think God wants you to do. Fashion, business, whatever. You must develop an ideology and become so notable and become the icon of that industry so that other believers that are coming can see somebody to follow. I hear what I'm saying? Christ is king. And the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. We have been raised to be influencers for the gospel. So that we can make the narrative of Christ common. So that we can make things that are noble and clean common. That way, let me tell you something. We would influence more people than a preacher can stand on the pulpit and do. Exactly. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you have a huge responsibility. 
I want you to rise up on your feet and I want you to pray. We're out of time. I want you to pray.